0: let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel.
1: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we had the gals on from the fanny pack therapist. And if you haven't taken a listen to that episode, stop, go listen and then come back.
1: Yeah, so today we are going to be talking about the stuttering program that I put on um, this past, I guess it was like three weeks, two weeks ago now. Um, So over July, it was a two-week intensive um, stuttering program that I really modeled off of what Rachel and I did in graduate school. Mm -hmm. We were a part of an intensive program. So um, Rachel, you're going to hear many similarities, I'm <gasps> Yay! sure too. I'm
0: so excited to hear about it because we really yeah. haven't talked about it much. We both knew that, you know, we were each doing a camp of some sort this summer, so I'm really excited.
1: Yeah, and we were like, why not just record us having our conversation mm-hmm. because um, we definitely knew we wanted to share it with you guys too. So this is kind of part one to two parts, I guess, because I did the stuttering program and then Rachel did a play and say with mm-hmm. uh, little kids, like almost... Would you say, like early intervention style? Yeah, so
0: we had um, a group two to four, and then we had another group five to nine, but we will talk about that next week. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so excited to hear
1: about that too. So um, we're both just going to be talking a little bit about our summer programs. So, I guess to give you guys, again, a little bit of background, um, Rachel and I both went to the University of Toledo, where um, Dr. Rodney Gobble, who was on one of our shows, like our third show ever, actually, mm-hmm. he is a stuttering guru. He's awesome. He's in New York now. Um, but he had a private practice for stuttering. He really, um, developed the stuttering specialty in that area of Ohio mm-hmm. and Toledo. Um, and he's just wonderful, but he created this and I don't know how long he put it on for, but a while, Um, a stuttering program for kids and then one for adults. They were separate programs, but they were both intensive. And Rachel and I got to be a part of that both as graduate students. And then also when we graduated, we got to be supervisors with that. Um, So I really think this kind of intensive model, and I've done a little research on other programs that do the same type of model. Mm -hmm. I think the only, and I, I, I shouldn't say the only way, but one of the only ways to make it work, I think is if you're doing it through a university, because you need to be able to give therapy to all these kids or all these individuals. So the only reason I feel like I was able to even do it was because I have access to graduate students and that's who was paired with each of my clients. Mm -hmm. Um, so the way it works is I'm kind of like, myself and then another supervisor were the supervisors for this program. And then we had our graduate clinicians buddy up with their client and they each gave individual therapy. Um, And now Rachel, mine was a little bit shorter. The one at UT, that was like super intensive. The kids were there for like six to seven hours a day, Mm -hmm. all day long. Um, we only did three hours a day. We did two weeks for three hours a day. Okay, And um, the first it was split into sessions basically. So the first hour was an individual session. The second hour was a group session and then followed by final hour of individual. So what I really wanted to put focus on was the group session, because there's been a lot of really cool studies out there recently with stuttering therapy on how important it is to have like a tribe, someone mm-hmm. you or people that also stutter who you can relate to, um, a support group more so than anything. So really that group session wasn't we weren't doing like strategies, we weren't doing even like identification or anything really except for just letting the children talk and play with one another and do activities where they could be comfortable. And it was just so cool to see not just like friendships grow, but also their comfort level increase so much because it is awkward at first. Like we're Mm -hmm. doing a lot of speaking activities and these are not the type of kids that like those kind of activities. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think the biggest change I saw was through the group session because they really opened up that way. Um, and we did some really fun, like just basically icebreaker type games. And we had some speakers come in some days too. Um, so that was kind of cool. It was two adults who stuttered. So that was kind of just to like have the children ask them
0: questions and, Mm -hmm.
1: Stuff like that. So yeah, that was. So
0: how many kids did
1: you have total? Did you already say that? No, I didn't. Yep. Five. So it was pretty small, I think for two reasons. One being that I got a lot of interest, but there were a lot of interested people out of state. Mm -hmm. And when it came down to it, it was just really hard for people out of state to come. Mm -hmm. Um, most of the people that came about half were local. And then the other half did end up coming from like further away and staying in hotels. Um, but because it's not as big as I want it to be yet, it's hard to get people to like pay for a hotel for that amount of time. Right. So At Toledo, they had an agreement with the college where they could stay in the dorms, which is so cool. And eventually I would love something like that or some kind of agreement with a hotel or something to get people there easier because it's, it's money. I mean, it's a time commitment and it's a money commitment. So you really have to like, make sure that not only are you invested, but that you can, that it's, that it's doable for families to do. So I think it was a little harder this year because it was kind of a trial. It was the first time we did it. Um, so I think it was I hope that we're going to be able to give more next year when we do it.
0: Um, I was thinking back to the intensive that we did in grad school and for both the children and the adult sessions I want to say a bulk of those people were from out of town. They were out of state. Like out of we state. had people from Texas and Georgia and Florida. So Mm -hmm. I can see how that um the first year go. Right. It's hard to attract that.
1: Definitely. And I mean the prevalence of stuttering isn't so high that you're going to get all local kids. I mean, I think there Mm -hmm. are enough kids that would come local, but would they actually do it is another another question in itself. And I think, you know, the age group we had, so our age group was eight to twelve. So it was funny because one of, one of our speakers said to me privately, he was like, I'm trying to think of how I would feel if my mom told me as a 12 year old that I was going to a stuttering camp. And Mm -hmm. he made a great point because these kids are like primetime preteen, probably not in a space of like really wanting to not only talk about their stutter, but then be submersed in this like intensive program for it. Yeah.
0: And for like two weeks. Yeah. It was, yeah,
1: it's a lot. It's exhausting, but it was really, I, they were all such good sports about it. Um, And I think it, I think it ended up being really, really good. I took, Um, Data similar to how Dr. Gobble did it. Rachel, Mm -hmm. you'll recognize this. So, well, we actually did the OASIS. Um, I think we did the Iowa something for us, but um, we took the OASIS and the SSI at the beginning, and then we also took it at the end to compare. Nice. Um, And, you know, especially now, there's such a push for, like, don't have a goal for decreasing fluency. So, Mm -hmm. or for, I'm sorry, for increasing fluency, which it wasn't. That wasn't the goal. Um, but the goal was to hopefully buy different ways of identification and awareness and education and all of that to decrease, decrease disfluencies because of that. So, um, all of the SSI scores did decrease. So again, I'm not saying that like the ultimate goal, but it was really cool to see that. happen. Yeah. Yeah. And all of the oases as well decreased or were made more mild. Okay. Um, so, I think it was. Sorry, I'm at home. You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was cool to see all of their attitudes change so much, and mm-hmm. all of their, um, the Oasis, if you're familiar with it, it's not just like attitudes on stuttering, it's also their like knowledge and understanding too. So, um, it's kind of hard to describe how that test is, but essentially, yeah their knowledge increased and their negative feelings decreased so yeah. that was that was pretty cool
0: i remember a really big thing that we did in grad school for that kind of like adolescent group was like yeah. a factor myth game about mm-hmm. you know like all um you know different information about stuttering and i feel like they learned so much that way and mm-hmm. were surprised to hear you know like how prevalent it is or right you know, that if someone in your family stutters, it may be more common or more for boys or whatever it may be. Yeah. So what was the age range of your five? Participants? Yeah.
1: So I actually, we ended up taking a little bit of a younger, we had like a seven, nine year old. He was okay. going to be, he was going to be eight. I think I forget when his birthday. it was, it's been a couple months, but mm-hmm. so a little bit younger than eight, okay. um, because he seemed like a good fit and mm-hmm. it, we wanted to have as many people as we could. So seven and a half ish to our oldest was 12. So it actually worked out really cool because the 12 year old ended up being almost like a mentor to the seven and a half year old. And it, they like formed this really cute bond. Like they're they were so cute together because, um, the 12 year old is actually the youngest. So he's never gotten to be like that big brother type figure. And, um, the little boy was just like immediately drawn to him. He thought he was like, great. And it was just, oh it was really gosh. cool. So I was a little worried because the rest of them were all 10 to 12. And then there was the one little one, very okay. young one. Yeah. So the rest of them were pretty much within the same age range. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, yeah, one, one of the 12 year old boys really connected with the little
0: one. So that was really cool. Oh my gosh. I lo- I feel like at, um, Toledo when we did ours and our, child intensive I feel Mm -hmm. like ours the bulk was very young yeah Mm -hmm. and just because I'm remembering different activities we did probably my favorite I think the first day was we um so leading up to this camp we got to make like our materials list and Mm -hmm. we could put like pretty much anything on there that we needed we planned these activities and then some of our professors went for um you know, shopping for the materials. And one of the first activities we did was to build speech buddies out of like candy. Yeah. So they walked into this like giant candy bar, which was awesome. So cool! And everyone had a piece of foil in front of them and they just mm-hmm. got to build their, you know, like speech buddies and whatever yeah. it may be. But you know, I wish we could have done that. And I know it, I thought of it, but because of
1: COVID, it just, yeah. there was no way to do it and be like safe with it. Yeah. Yeah. because <laughs> so think
0: about all the hands in exactly. one bowl for M&Ms yeah.
1: or yeah. And we had all of our group sessions outside just to be safe with oh, COVID nice. because there, there were like conference rooms, but, and we actually tried it in a conference room the first day. Um, but it just felt very like, I don't know, stiff in there. And like they were in school Mm -hmm. and I felt like as soon as we went outside, they like opened up way more. So it was just, again, the group sessions were so much more meant to be like a support group than anything. So Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be like, they felt safe talking with each other, not just like answering questions in the group.
0: But yeah. And in grad school, we got out of the clinic as much as we could. Like, let's just go for a walk and talk or let's sit and talk. Or the nice part with the adults was we could go to, you know, like the student center and they can order yeah, yeah, a drink at Starbucks and practice their strategies or whatever it may be. And we ended up doing something very similar to
1: that, Rachel. So on the last, like the last three days, we started doing the stuttering surveys where um, we like went up to different people. And if you're not, you probably, you guys, our listeners aren't familiar with the stuttering survey. (laughs) So I'll explain those, but basically it's just giving the child an opportunity to talk to someone different because at this point, they've been talking to the same clinician for a week and a half and they're getting very comfortable. So um, I've always really tried to structure, or we've always tried to really structure our fluency therapy um, with being more functional. So like, obviously the more comfortable you are um, kind of the less like negative feelings, the less Mm -hmm. uh, anxiety, the less um, stuttering you might even experience just because you're with someone you know. Um, So we're just trying to place them with different people. So we would go around the clinic and they had a piece of paper that they practiced and they would say, hi, my name is so-and-so they could, we gave them a choice of saying they're a person who stutters or not. Um, I think that's big to giving someone the choice if they want to identify as that or Mm -hmm. not, if they want to vocalize that because some people don't. And I think it's a hundred percent, you know, their choice. So they could say either I'm so-and-so I'm a person who stutters or just I'm so-and-so I'm completing an assignment for my speech class. And um, then they would ask some questions about stuttering. So they'd be like, do you know someone who stutters? How do you feel about their speech? What do you think you could do to help someone who stutters? Um, Just kind of giving them a chance to not only advocate for themselves, but also educate about stuttering because more times than not, the listener doesn't know anything about stuttering. So it gives our students a chance to be like, oh, well, this is what causes stuttering. And this is what you, this is what I would want you to do mm-hmm. if you heard me stuttering. Like, I don't want you to interrupt. I want you to be patient, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's really cool because um, not just for the kids, but for others around our clinic to kind of talk to people who stutter. Because I feel like, again, it's such a, a specialized area where like even speech therapists that don't really work with people who stutter don't yeah. really get a chance to hear it. And um, I've watched a lot of like CEUs on that um, on like parent education and other people education. And that's like the number one thing that people say is it it is uncomfortable sometimes to hear someone stutter if you've never heard someone stutter before, Mm -hmm. because it's just different. And it's something that it shouldn't be taboo or Mm -hmm. like, oh, what? But it is. And it needs to be something that is more educated about so that it isn't such an uncomfortable thing. Um, So I think it, I think it was cool just for them to, for their listeners and for them to get out and like talk about it. And then we would obviously talk about like the reactions of the listeners and how did it make them feel. So um, this program was really uh, heavy on like emotional regulation and, like, mm-hmm. identifying their reactions and others' reactions, um, we honestly didn't even touch strategies until week two. Um, week one was all about, like, education, identification, and emotional regulation. So we nice. did a lot of, like, feelings activities. We did a lot of, like, what is stuttering? Like, what does it feel like? We did a lot on tension, like, talking about what tension is and, like, rating our attention and, like, talking about situations, Um, so it was a lot of that before we even did strategies, which I really stress for those of you, not, not just with intensive Mm -hmm. programs, but with weekly therapy in general, you really need to make sure there's a strong basis before you even touch trying to change their fluency or change their speech.
0: And that goes back to, I feel like a lot of people, Whether a lot of SLPs, whether they're familiar with stuttering or not, everyone at least knows like the iceberg. Right. And if you think about the visual of the iceberg, you only see like a very tiny bit at the top. Mm -hmm. And that really is the disfluency portion of stuttering. But there's this huge part at the bottom, right, where like all the feelings and emotions are tied to. So Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense to, you know, like spend so much time on that bottom portion before you can come up to the top. And I think it's important for the iceberg too, to not
1: just like acknowledge, okay. Like I acknowledge you're feeling frustrated Mm -hmm. when you start speaking, but then like you just stop there and you like go into strategies and you're like, okay, I know you feel frustrated, but like then here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think that's kind of where some therapists hit a wall too, is like, okay, I've identified the feeling, but then like, how do I work through the feeling? Mm -hmm. And that's where counseling comes into play. And where I think that like, if you haven't taken a counseling course, our Mm -hmm. listeners, like you need to take some sort of counseling course, even if it's not pertaining to fluency. I think it's important in a lot of different speech realms, but um, you know, it's not just about acknowledging it's about validating and working through and letting the child talk about what, what does frustrated mean? Like they might say frustrated, but then when you're like, okay, what, what does that mean? Like, what does it mean to feel frustrated when you feel frustrated? Um, just like diving into that emotion deeper. There's just so much more. And I think people would really be surprised on how much kids will say about their feelings that Mm -hmm. we don't know because we don't ask enough. Right. And I think it should be asked more than it is because it's important to figure out our feelings before they bottle up and we get all frustrated.
0: And yeah. Stuff, so did so, yeah. you have any of your grad students? Um, Cause I'm remembering things that we did. Did you yeah. have any of them model stuttering? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I think that's, so
1: I, I did, I did not have them do it with people they didn't know. Okay. Um, so like, I know in our grad program, mm-hmm. we were supposed to go up to a stranger first and do mm-hmm. it. Um, I struggled with this because I've seen a lot lately on, um, people who stutter almost feeling like, why are you st- like, I know you don't stutter. Yes. So like, why are you stuttering? But then mm-hmm. on the flip side of that, the, the reason we voluntary stutter is to feel empathy, basically, like mm-hmm. we need to feel how it feels and we also need to be put in that, like, okay, I I know I'm never going to understand what it's like to be you, but I did this and I felt this way. Like, do you ever feel that way? Mm-hmm. So I get the, I got it on both sides, but because yeah. these were kids, I chose not to, I think if it was adults, it might be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might have them do it, but yeah, that's the hardest thing for grad students for sure is to voluntary stutter because I had them do it like with their individual client when they were like identifying stuttering moments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's hard. It's because it, you're changing the way you speak. And so think about it on the opposite end of that for a child, like that you're telling to change the way they speak to something fluent. Like it's yeah. the same thing. It's hard.
0: Or, you know, that was one of our assignments for our stuttering class in graduate mm-hmm. school. I think our like our first assignment was yeah. to go somewhere. Go out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, voluntary stutter and, and to not, at that point, don't disclose that you're doing it because right. the whole paper that the paper that we had to write was based on like oh your gosh, reactions. Yeah, yeah. Having to do it. And then, you know, like listener reactions. Right. And I remember as soon as I completed that, I'm like, what, you know, like you've really put yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah. Um, and it just becomes very challenging. So, yeah, but I agree. Yeah. It's, it's a, I feel like it's kind of a fine line because it like benefits, but lately, yeah. you don't want it to hurt. right? Exactly.
1: Like yeah. everything lately, I feel like both, there are two very mm-hmm. like different sides of it. And I feel yeah. like that's how a lot of things are lately. Mm-hmm. Um, like what we thought we knew actually might be the wrong way. Right. And is there yeah. a right or wrong way? Yep. Um, I think when it comes down to it, you just I think it's important just to be open with the client, no matter how young they are, because kids Kids can advocate for themselves. Like, again, Mm -hmm. you'd be surprised with how much they are aware of. Um, So I think just openly asking, like, do you want to say your person who stutters? Do you feel comfortable with me doing it first? And I'm going to put some bumps in my speech too. Like, just ask them. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important too, because everyone's different. Like one person might not care and another person really might feel strongly about it. So Mm -hmm. I think just making sure that you have open communication and, I mean, with fluency therapy anyway, that's huge is having the child or adult or whoever be like immersed in their goals and even like helping choose their goals because it's their speech and they're fully cognitively aware of what they want to get out of it. Um, like yeah. you have the evidence based and the training, but you also need to tailor it to their client specific needs. So, Yeah.
0: So do you think you will do the same camp next year for kids? I hope so. So yeah. we have, yeah, I, um, the reason we tracked
1: it, I mean, I'll track it every year like this, mm-hmm. with like the SSI and Oasis to, um, compare like beginning and end, mm-hmm. but I was really crazy about it this year because that's kind of part of my proof to get it to go next yes. year. It's like, look, it really did make a difference. And look at this positive mm-hmm. reaction we got out of it. And all of the parents were so great um, and really, really appreciated it. And that was another part of it real quick is we had our parent groups once a week too. So we met with the parents over zoom, um, and they had a chance to ask questions and we educated them, which I think is huge because parents, a lot of times don't really know a lot about Mm -hmm. how to react or how to support their children who stutter. So I think that was really big. Um, but yeah, I hope so. I really, really hope so because it was awesome. And I think grad students get a lot out of it. I know Rachel and I got a lot out of it. And if you're in a place to do something like that, I think intensive therapy for stuttering is so there's just so much more gains you can make in such a small amount of time, because there is so much that has to be done before you start like maintenance, right? Mm -hmm. Like before you start on strategies and modifications and all that, like you need to have a really strong basis. So,
0: um, and that takes
1: a while that can take months if you're in weekly therapy. So, yeah.
0: Do you think you would expand to do like an adult session next year? I would
1: love to, I think that would be so cool. Um, because I see a couple adults right now and I, that's like an even bigger counseling component Mm -hmm. to it because it really does kind of feel like you're in a therapy session, like a, totally counseling therapy session for most of it. Um, and I think that would be really good experience for the students. And I think it would be cool for them. Um, but I don't know. And I don't know how our program got as many adults as it did. I think that's crazy that we did have so many adults because I feel like with adults, it's even, I mean, with kids, their parents tell them they're going to this camp, right. Right. With adults, like it's an independent decision that they're making. Mm -hmm. And I see it as being probably less like happening less than it yeah. would if parents were putting them into it. So.
0: Would you say, I'm trying to think of numbers. Do you think we had 10 kids and 10 adults? I don't remember. There were a lot of grad students. So yeah.
1: I want to say, I don't know if it was that many. I want to say it was closer to like seven you or think? so. Cause yeah. I know some of
0: us were paired uh, up. Some of us were paired up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And it wasn't the full grad program because we were split between mm-hmm. some people went to autism yeah, and some yeah. people went to, or some people did this, the fluency yeah. program. So, um, but he, I mean, Dr. Gobble also built up his, totally. He'd, again, he'd been doing that for, I don't even know how long. So did
0: you reach out to him? I did. Was yeah, you planning this? Yeah.
1: I talked to him a bit and I need to follow up with him about how it went, but yeah, I talked to him a while ago, actually about this just to like, not only, like get his input, but also like, Hey, is it okay if I basically use a lot of what you do? Yeah. <laughs> because it's my, mo- it's
0: modeled very similarly to mm-hmm. what he did in his program. That's awesome. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. It was so <gasps> much first fun year under, know. you know, your I bell. Know. It was so
1: fun. And I'm so glad I'm in a space that gave me the opportunity to do it. Um, because yeah, it's, it's hard to do it anywhere else. But if you guys have any other questions for me, let me know. That was kind of like the bones of the program. Yeah. Um, but definitely reach out. I am totally open to sharing with you guys, like my plan and manual and stuff
0: that I have. So just let me know. Um, and we can chat about it. Yeah. The stuttering surveys or yes, um, any if you're not materials. familiar with the iceberg or whatever yeah. it may be. Mm-hmm, definitely.
1: And next week we'll hear all about Rachel's camp, which I'm
0: super Yay, excited. To hear. I'm really excited too. So thanks guys. Well guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. speech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speech is super sweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow.
1: And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech, or my Facebook page, kindly speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindly speech LLC at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions, or if you or someone, you know, wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.